You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Deke Hager. And I'm Lucy Kellison. This is the WFHB Local News from Monday, December 5th, 2022. Later in the program, the Brown County Hour's Sarah Lytle speaks with Brown County State Park Manager Doug Baird about a recent fire. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Community Justice Response Committee meets tonight at the Monroe County Courthouse. WFHB correspondent Kyan Tara recaps the county's proposal to build a new jail ahead of the committee. More following today's feature. But first, your daily headlines. Good afternoon. This is WFHB Local News Brief for Monday, December 5th. I'm Deke Hager. Deputy Mayor Don Griffin announced that he will run for mayor in the 2023 election. Griffin joins City Council President Susan Sandberg. Griffin joins City Council President Susan Sandberg and former Monroe County Habitat for Humanity CEO Carrie Thompson for the next mayoral race. This comes after Mayor John Hamilton indicated that he would not run for a third term back in November. I'm excited about Bloomington's future, where we're headed, uh, but I also want to let you know, uh, after a lot of thinking, it's not an easy decision, I have decided not to run for re-election next year. There's a hard decision. I'm really excited about what's going on in Bloomington and our future, and there's so much more to come, Uh, but it really just felt right uh, to look at an eight-year service, uh, two terms, Uh, as Don and I talked about it, thinking about it, that that felt like the right time to turn the page on a new chapter. Not not to run uh, just because I could run and win another term, not to run uh, just to be mayor, but really thinking about uh, what's the right fit for our family and my future. And and I feel good about it, though it was just tempting to run, but I, I just have decided not to. So I wanted to let you know that. Now, there are 13 months ahead of great work, exciting work. Um, uh, We're kind of in the fourth quarter of the game and you know a lot of really good things can happen in the fourth quarter of a game. So I look forward to continued work on that with all of you uh, as we move forward. But at this point, I just wanna say thank you uh, to so many friends, so many supporters, so many colleagues and partners who've helped make all of this possible. I'm so excited about where Bloomington is. We've raised the bar. Uh, We're ready to move forward well into the future. Uh, and uh, I look forward to watching that after the next 13 months. Bloomington is strong and thriving, uh, and I can't wait to see how we go forward. Onward and upward we go. Thank you so much. All three candidates so far have filed paperwork to establish campaign committees. Formal decorations for candidacy won't happen until January of next year. A federal judge has ordered that the city of Bloomington needs to reconsider an application for an All Lives Matter mural. According to a lawsuit filed by IU student Kyle Reynolds and the IU chapter of Turning Point USA, the plaintiffs requested an All Lives Matter mural to be painted on Kirkwood Avenue near the sample gates. City officials told Reynolds that the city wasn't considering any more right-of-way public art projects and would not consider submissions from individuals. 
The lawsuit alleges that the city took part in viewpoint discrimination because the city had previously approved three Black Lives Matter murals and did not approve the All Lives Matter mural. The judge's ruling means that the city has until January of next year to develop a procedure for private parties to ask for approval to use the city's right-of-way policies to display public art. That's all for your local news brief. For WFHB, I'm Lucy Kellison. The Bloomington City Council Committee of the Whole met on November 30th to discuss ordinances on their first reading. The council first heard an ordinance to appropriate funds from the general fund into various departments. Director of Auditing and Financial Systems Cheryl Gilliland presented on the appropriations and shared that most departments need assistance with increased gas prices. Appropriation Ordinance Number 22-05 is our comprehensive 2022 year-end appropriation. The overall additional appropriation request is $828,000, which covers 11 different funds. Three of the funds are requesting additional appropriations, while the remaining eight funds are requesting transfers. For the general fund, all requests will be covered as transfers between departments and categories. This will allow coverage of changes between initial budget, prepared, and actual operation expenses. For 2022, the net effect on the actual appropriation from the general fund is zero. Hence, there will be no impact on the fund balance or tax rates. Within the memo that we provided, you will see that additional funds or transfer requests are mostly needed to cover the unexpected fuel and utility costs which we experienced in 2022. She outlined which departments needed additional appropriations and why they needed them. For Public Works Administration, They're requesting an additional $15,500 for Category 4, which is capital. This will cover a portion of unexpected capital purchases. In addition, the department requests a transfer of funds from Category 3 to Categories 2 and 4, which will cover higher than expected fuel costs and provide the remaining amount needed in Category 4. Economic and Sustainability Development Department is requesting an additional $155,450 in Category 3 to cover the cost of unbudgeted maintenance at the Waldron. In addition, a transfer of $60,685 from Category 1 is needed to fully cover the Waldron maintenance, plus higher than expected anticipated um, fuel costs in Category 2. Engineering is requesting $283,027 additional appropriations. Of this total, $74,904 is needed in Category 1 to cover additional staffing costs associated with the Meridian project, and $208,123 is needed in Category 4. Category 4 funds will cover a portion of a land purchase. 
For legal, $123,491 is requested for category three to cover excess outside council fees due primarily to annexation, litigation, and the Meridian Fiber deal. This department is also requesting a transfer of, of $35,109 from category one to fully cover the need in category three. The mayor's office requests $15,000 in category three to cover higher than anticipated costs for technology, software, and equipment. Hand requests $215,850 in category one to cover personnel expenses, which are normally covered by a supplement from grant funds. Public Works, the facilities division, is requesting $19,900 to cover both categories two and three. In addition, they're requesting a transfer from category one in the amount of $20,280 and $60,000 in category four is requested to cover um, categories two and three. Combined, these funds will assist with covering the purchase of battery-powered equipment for use at the city hall and other facilities. Plus, funds will assist in covering higher than anticipated city hall energy costs. The committee voted to recommend the approval of the appropriations with six members voting yes and three members voting to abstain. Next, Mayor John Hamilton asked the council to consider an ordinance to approve general obligation bonds to build and renovate public safety facilities. Hamilton shared the plans to create a joint police and fire headquarters at the Showers Building, along with other fire department building renovations. So to outline planned investments of $34 million tonight, this is, I believe, the largest investment in public safety in our city's history. It is funded primarily with $26 million in net bond proceeds with an additional $8 million from two other sources, our creed, funds, and projected sale of property. Let me begin, we've investigated a wide variety of options from building new buildings to expanding on existing buildings to buying and rehabbing for both police and fire needs. After extensive review, we've settled on rehabbing three existing buildings and building one new building. The four projects as they've been outlined, I know in a detailed memo are first to purchase and rehabilitate the 64,000 square foot showers building CFC portion uh, uh, behind us, if you will, uh, into a headquarters for police and for fire administration, including civilian and non-sworn personnel, about two-thirds of the funding for that. Second, to rehab into really almost an as-new downtown fire station number one, modernized and upgraded. Third, to rehab the North Woodlawn Avenue fire station number three, our station in most dire need of uh, upgrading and rehabilitation, and fourth, to construct a new fire operations and logistics center at the public safety campus on South Walnut. These are forward-looking and transformational investments that you have made possible. The three fire buildings, all necessary and critical to maintaining our excellence, our equity, our efficiency and service, 
And as to the most significant investment in dollar amounts with the Showers Building, let me just briefly mention several ways it is so important. First, new fire and police offices will be top-notch, modern, high-quality, upgraded office, moving out of decades-old, cramped, uh, insufficient facilities, indeed subject to flooding that we've seen. Second, uh, the ability to combine fire and police administration together, a true public safety team uh, including the growing non-sworn capacities and really reflecting the evolution of an integrated public safety approach. This will allow that merging uh, and, and uh, coordination uh, in better ways of fire and police. Architectural consultant Deb Kuntz presented on the studies the consultants have done to ensure the projects meets stakeholder needs. So there were several studies that were done um, for this building. Uh, or on, for this initiative, I should say. And as we think about, uh, you know, the five, the projects that have been identified on the first slide, we'll go to the second slide and really look at the facility studies that have been done in preparation for this. So for on slide number two, there is the uh, CFC Showers Building Space Analysis and Architectural Assessment that was done by Springpoint Architects in association with a national architect, KBA, who is a police and security expert. There was also a showers building analysis on the life safety, mechanical and electrical components done by Tabor Bruce Architects. Both Springpoint and Tabor Bruce are both local architects to Bloomington. And then there was a fire department due diligence and redesign that was done by Martin Riley um, Architects and Engineers on all of the fire uh, facilities that were identified. Um, we have taken that information we have revalidated the space assumptions, particularly with the police team. Um, there was a lot of time spent on revalidating the space needs, incorporated all of the preliminary study information, but also applied some current cost, metal, cost models and also how do we reuse some of the existing space to make it as efficient as possible. Kuhn said she has worked on two other police facility renovation projects that have moved the police department into new facilities or added more square footage. I've personally worked on two active police station projects, one with Lafayette, um, where they have actually built a new 90,000 square foot facility. They've been in, in their existing city hall for a long time, um, but they're actually moving into a new facility across the hall, or excuse me, across the street. Uh, and then also with the city of Carmel, where we're doing a significant addition to their building. It's about a, about a 25, 30,000 square foot addition to their police department. Um, so those are the, you know, pulling on that information is how we let, how we got to some of these changes. But all of that is, you know, basis for the information that we are going to share next. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on December 7th. In today's feature report, the Brown County Hours, Sarah Lytle speaks with Brown County State Park Manager Doug Baird about a recent fire. This comes from the December edition of the Brown County Hour, an arts and culture program from the hills and hollers of Brown County. Tune in Wednesday at 6 p.m. to hear the full program on WFHB. Excited today to have the 
Brown County State Park manager with us today, Doug Baird. And I really have met Doug before. There's a fire going on. By the time we air, it probably won't be, and all the smoke will have gone, and the ashes will have cooled. But um, there was a fire at the state park, and I decided to drive over there and just see if I could go up on the fire tower and see what I could see. And from that vantage point, couldn't see much. We'll bought into beautiful trees. Anyway, we walked along the ridge, and I did see some smoke off in the distance. And, and on the way back to the car at the manager's station, I bumped into a couple of people in the parking lot and said, gee, we'd like to have somebody to come in and talk to us at the radio station. And one of them was this man sitting here, Doug Baird. So welcome, Doug. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I know in the parking lot when I talked to you and you said, well, I'm not a fire expert. <laughs> well, I just happen to know what's been going on out there. That's about the extent of my expertise. Yeah, but you do know a lot about the park. I should. <laughs> How long have you been a manager there? Uh, since 94. What's that, 28 years? 28 years. Have um, there been other fires at the park during your time? Uh, yeah, a few. We've not had any recently, but there was one, as I recall, 1988, I think it was, or Real dry year, we had a fire down the, along the road to Ogle Lake, mm -hmm. and it probably burnt 20 acres or something like that. It was in the hot time of the summer, and it was real dry. Never did determine what caused it, but you have to assume a cigarette or something like that. Yeah. Well, at this time, from what I've been able to see, there isn't much being reported. 100 acres, they were saying, has burned. Yeah, the estimate today was 110 acres. Okay. And can you tell us about where in the park that is? It's in the southeast part of the park. It's southeast of the fire tower, east of the horseman's campground. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of area out there between the park roads and the park boundary or State Road 135 South. And it's all isolated, very, very uh, undeveloped. Mm -hmm. There's a few horse trails you go through there, but other than that, it's just forest. Yeah, um, reports were that the rugged terrain, because the terrain was so rugged, they had to pull off um, some of the firefighters and just bring in the DNR guys, right? Well, that was the case Sunday evening after the fire got reported, and mm -hmm. we had several volunteer fire crews out there. Uh, it was dark, and the train is very steep, and the, the brush is thick, and it's very hard to get through there in the daytime, let alone mm -hmm. trying to do it at night while you're trying to fight a fire or, mm -hmm. or cut a fire line. So it was decided that there was very little threat from the fire to, just to leave it burn, and it was a considerable chance of getting somebody hurt by being out there at nighttime trying right. to put it out. So it just decided to wait till Monday morning, and they called in the volunteer fire departments, called them out from the woods. Then Monday morning, the DNR fire fighting crew, the Division of Forestry has a, a um, wildland fire crew that they travel around the state and take care of wildfires like that that get started on public lands. Mm -hmm. They came in and cut a fire line around the fire just to keep it from spreading any further. Mm -hmm. And then it was left overnight. And today we had five people from state parks that have fire training. They were in just rechecking, making sure that nothing had burned over the fire line. No dead snags near the fire line that might cause the fire to spread. Okay. So it's pretty well contained Yes, at this point. There's still a lot of stuff smoldering, but the fire itself is not a threat to expand at this point, we don't think. Yeah. 
So they kept mentioning it was a brush fire. Mostly what we have out there is it's leaf litter and fallen limbs and trees, dead stuff laying on the ground on the forest floor. Some dead standing snags might mm -hmm. catch on fire. A few did that they had to cut down, but it's nothing like a, a forest fire you see out west or even like the one that was in uh, Gatlinburg a few years ago. Nothing near that that uh, aggressive. Okay. Pretty well slow creeping ground fire. Okay. Well, the fire tower was pretty interesting, you know, climbing up that. And I, I um, that's about a 90 foot tower, right? They yes, say. to the peak. And it was built around the 30s. Mm -hmm. And what I found is there are 33 fire towers in the state of Indiana by 1952. But now they aren't used quite the same way as they used to be. I don't think there's any fire towers in Indiana that are used the, the way they were originally intended to watch for forest fires. Thanks to drones and things like that now, right? Local emergency management folks were in yesterday with a drone trying to get a better look at it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can tell us about, especially this time of the year, it's so dry, not to burn their leaves, not to have campfires. We still allow campfires in the park. In contained. Uh, contained fires, yes, in fire rings, we call them. Definitely want to watch your use of cigarettes or your discarding of cigarettes. Uh, don't go out in the middle of the woods and, and build a campfire without having a cleared area around it and then make sure it's totally extinguished before you would leave. Burning leaves is probably not a good idea, especially as dry as it is this time of year, this this particular year. And it's been windy. It just doesn't take much. No, there, there have been several brush fires or woods fires in, in the Brown County area recently, and it's mostly all due to carelessness by someone. Well, I bet your job is exciting enough without having a fire to have to deal with. What are some of the other things you do? What are your responsibilities? Well, I'm in charge of the operation of the park. Uh, that can be pretty busy in the months like October that we just got through recently and in the dead of winter it's not so hectic for the most part but we always have things we need to get caught up on for the, getting ready for the next season. Okay well we really appreciate the work that you do there and coming in and talking to us and helping keep our park. It is such a beautiful amazing park. I really love going there and I, I know our listeners do too. Well, I'm glad to hear it. It's a treasure for Brown County to have. It's a treasure for the state of Indiana. It's a wonderful place. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Community Justice Response Committee meets tonight from 4.30 to 6 p.m. on the third floor of the Monroe County Courthouse. In recent meetings, the county has discussed the proposal of a new Monroe County Jail. To review the ongoing complications with the potential new jail site, we revisit a report late last month from WFHB correspondent Kyan Tara. The complex issue with the Monroe County's current jail and the task of building a new jail has been looming over county officials' heads for several years now. A criminal justice and incarceration study was commissioned by Monroe County in 2019, which detailed the problems with the current jail, notes Monroe County attorney Jeff Cockrell. At that point in time, we did the study, of course, and we 
we had it going and then of course COVID hit. So everything gets delayed a little bit, but we finally got the report back in 2021, the summer of 2021. And it, it covered a lot of areas. The report stated the current jail facility is failing and cannot ensure consistent and sustainable provisions of constitutional rights of incarcerated peoples. Jordan McIntyre is the executive director of New Leaf, New Life, a nonprofit that supports incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals in Monroe County. She's concerned a new, bigger jail will lead to more people being incarcerated just to occupy the space. I don't want there to be a bigger jail with more people incarcerated. Um, but I do think that it's important that if we're going to have jails and that is the reality that we're living in, that it is able to provide, you know, the constitutional level of safety and care for the folks that are incarcerated. The road to building a new jail has been fraught with challenges. First, with COVID-19 delays and extensive searches for viable areas within city limits to build, to areas accessible by public transport, and issues purchasing and rezoning the land, the task of building a new jail seems extremely complex. I think that the city and the plan commission has to review, you know, this versus, you know, other uses. But at the end of the day, this is a use that we have to have in the community. Monroe County Board of Commissioners approved a $10 million purchase agreement in July of this year to build a jail on almost 90 acres of land beside the I-69 and West Fullerton Pike. But issues behind purchasing and rezoning the land for the jail seems to mount. By a 6-3 to three vote, Bloomington's Planning Commission supported suggestions which then sent a negative recommendation to the City Council about Monroe County's government's request for rezoning. The rezoning is required to convert the ability to build a jail on the property from mixed-use employment to mixed-use institutional. Before Monday's meeting, Lee Jones expressed the importance of, of acquiring this land for a prison. If they reject it, it still goes to the city council who could vote for it. And, well, I'm very hopeful that they'll understand the acute need and will work with us. Time seems to be running out. While Monroe County has a purchase agreement for the land contingent upon the rezone, this agreement expires at the end of the year. If for some reason that doesn't work out, we have identified a few properties out in the county that could be used, and um, that's what we would have to do. Then we run into more complex transportation problems, which probably could be solved. It might be more expensive. Um, and just access would be much more difficult, but that's that's what many communities have had to resort to. And if we cannot find land to use in the city, that's what we'll have to do. There are two more regular meetings scheduled for the city council's calendar this year. For now, it seems the reality of rezoning and building a new jail is still uncertain. For WFHB, I'm Kayantara.
Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolar.com.